When we're on the receiving end of manipulation, it's very painful. But keep this in mind. Manipulators will not succeed. Can I get an amen for that? If you're on the other end of some guy, somebody trying to manipulate, game playing with you, I, I know it's hurting right now, I know it's hard right now, but they won't succeed. They just won't succeed. Jot it down, read Psalm 62 this afternoon. It looks like they're succeeding. They're probably going to be so happy when they bury Jesus. But we know three days, it only took three days to prove him wrong. And Jesus died to save manipulators. Think of that. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for Thanks for starting the week off with us and welcome to Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is in a study of John's Gospel and we'll join him in the middle of chapter 19 today. So the phone rings, your spouse picks up, and you realize it's someone you don't want to talk to right now. So you tell them to say, I'm not here. Or how about your boss asks you why you were late today and you come up with an excuse that is far from reality. Well, today we'll learn what happens when we lie to get what we want. You end up hurting not only yourself, but others too, as Pastor Ed now explains. Now, some of you might be a little upset right now. You're like, wait a minute, Ed. You're drawing a line too close, man. I mean, I mean, seriously, when I lie, it doesn't hurt anybody. And there you would be wrong. Because I can give you a whole list of people that are hurt when you lie. Number one, when you lie, you hurt yourself. You hurt yourself. Because eventually you're going to be found out. If you're not found out right now, you're going to you hurt yourself. You hurt your reputation. You, you hurt, you erode a relationship. Now, now a person doesn't trust you anymore. You hurt yourself. Number two, you hurt the person you lied to. Because now they thought one thing about you and they trusted you and they relied upon you and now you've been found out to be a fraud and now you've gone to having to deal, they're having to deal with all those emotions and feelings. Why? Because you wouldn't tell the truth. Thirdly, you hurt God. It's a sin. Every sin is a sin against God, first and foremost. Every one of them. And what happens is, is that's a further hurt, that's a further pain you bring into your life because when you sin against God, you separate yourself. You separate yourself. You know what happens to Christians that separate themselves? They just become very religious people. And what I mean by that is that there's no heart to your, to your relationship with God. You're just religious. Sometimes we call them churchgoers or, you know, you, you, like this is, you're just kind of feeling like you're doing your duty instead of enjoying the garden. God wants you to enjoy. You know, fourthly, when you lie, you hurt the body of Christ. Because the Bible says in Ephesians, we're all members of one another. So when you lie, you bring a bad rap on our church, not just our church, but the church. You bring a bad rap on the Jesus who died for your sins and has never, God has never spoken a lie, ever. And then lastly, when you lie, you hurt your community because the very fabric of relationship in our communities is trust. It's trust. We're members of one another, connected. Friends, you might want to jot this down. Friends tell the truth enemies lie to one another. Chew on that one today, this afternoon. Just like, man, friends tell the truth. 
Friends tell the truth. And enemies lie to each other. Now, to those of you that might be, you know, wrestling with unknown things, like people don't know what you're going through, maybe you're depressed today, maybe you're discouraged, maybe you're wrestling with the reality of life, and you might be watching online or listening on the radio, you're not even in a church today because you've isolated yourself because of the difficulties in life. You're in a very dangerous place because the, the person that you talk to the most is yourself. And you get into a place where you're just thinking about the situation and the circumstances and you're talking to yourself and what you're saying to yourself is not very faith building. You're allowing, as it's easy to do, the circumstances to weigh you down, to, to make heavy. And so that what are you hearing from yourself? Oh, you're no good. You'll never be any good. And you'll never get out of this. And God isn't faithful and he doesn't care. And I'm being punished for my past. And, and on and on, that self-talk. And those of us that are around you and those of you that are around discouraged people, listen, you, you, need to, you need to be open to the Holy Spirit to use you to come and tell them the truth. Now, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, judging them and being all mad at them and you can't be sorry, you can't be sad. Those, that's, those, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. Don't do that to anyone. But what you can do is come and put your arm around someone and say, hey, man, I love you and God loves you right now. Yeah, but I don't feel God's love. Just tell them the truth. Just tell them the truth. You don't need to convince them. Definitely don't judge them. Just come on, put your arm around them. Hey, you know what? God loves you. He's faithful. I don't know how, but the Bible says that God works all things together for the good. And I know this isn't good right now, but you might be afraid to tell them the truth because you think they'll get all upset and offended, and they just might. But don't lie to them. That's not going to help them. Don't hold back from them. You know, if the Lord gives you a scripture, give them the scripture. I can't tell you how many times God will impress a scripture on me for someone, and I'm looking at it and I go, I have no idea why I would share that. That's just, and, and you can hear heaven, I didn't ask you to understand, send the text. You know, like, just like, make the call, just share the scripture. I'm like, okay, Lord, okay, I don't need to understand. And how many times the Lord has just used it in someone's life to encourage and build up and lift up. And even when you're in that midst of your talking to yourself, learn how, you know, just open a Bible, even in the worst part of your, just keep a Bible open, read it, not for understanding, but read it desperately for the Holy Spirit to use it in your life, because we can lie to ourselves far more than someone would lie to us, and that just puts us in the same place because of our doubt and our unbelief. You know, it's possible to be an unbelieving believer in seasons in our lives, where we're just not believing the word we're not trusting God at his word, but his word, as we'll see in a moment, always comes to pass. And that's what's happening back in John 19 now, this whole scene. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss this part of this manipulation and lying and deceit by people you would expect to be close to God. It's very unfortunate. So it says in verse 16 in John 19, he delivered them to them to be, he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is in Hebrew, Golgotha. If you like to take notes, you like to write in your Bibles, right next to Golgotha, the Latin word is Calvary. And that's the origin of the name of our church. It speaks to the place of the cross, the place where your sins were forgiven. That's where, that's in the Hebrew, it's Golgotha, but in Latin, it's Calvary where they crucified him, verse 18, and two others with him, one on either side, 
and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many, verse 20, of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, I mean, they just won't stop trying to control the whole thing. He says, don't write king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. I finally, Pilate has a backbone, but it's too late. They want the sign changed because in their mind, he's not really a king. And, and they, they just want to manipulate the whole thing. And let me just speak, and it may be you, it may not be you, but just let me, let me speak. Manipulators will not succeed. Can I get an amen for that? If you're on the other end of some guy, somebody trying to manipulate, game playing with you, I, I know it's hurting right now, I know it's hard right now, but they won't succeed. They just won't succeed. Jot it down, read Psalm 62 this afternoon. It looks like they're succeeding. They're probably going to be so happy when they bury Jesus. But we know three days, it only took three days to prove him wrong. And Jesus died to save manipulators. Think of that. The people causing you great pain right now, Jesus died for. He loves them. (laughs) The people just lying about you or, I mean, Jesus is on the other end of all of this. They're just so caught up in themselves. And yet Jesus is still going to die for them because he loves them. Notice in verse 23, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. And the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. And they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, for the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Notice in verse 24, don't miss that phrase, that the scripture might be fulfilled. The scripture might be fulfilled. God fulfills his word. Here we see Jesus being crucified. Crucifixion was invented by the Persians because they believed that the earth was sacred. So then we're going to kill someone and punish them for their crime. They didn't want their, their body on the ground. So they lifted him up and invented a real torturous way to kill someone. It was torturous what Jesus endured for you and me. But what the Persians invented, the Romans perfected it. And history tells us that about this time that the Romans had used it to kill 30,000 Jews. A tremendous genocide. Different historians describe it this way. Crucifixion is the most terrible and cruel death which man has ever devised for taking vengeance on his fellow man. Cicero called it the most cruel and horrible torture. Tacitus, the, the historian, called it a torture only fit for slaves. And what Persians invented, the Romans perfected. And they sent, it was one message and one message they wanted to send. Don't mess with Rome. And it was so bad that they kept it exclusively for rebels, runaway slaves, and the lowest type of criminal. It was so cruel that they didn't use it on Roman citizens. They would punish them a different way. And already, remember, back in verse 1 of chapter 19, it says that Jesus was scourged. That, that, that literally means he was violently beaten with two Roman guards on both sides of him, with sticks, with these long leather thongs, with... Uh, pieces of leather on it and and lead and rocks in it and they would full force beat the man and most people died under that beating and never ended up being crucified but Jesus endured that beating so much so that the Bible describes that his face was so messed up from the beating you couldn't recognize him 
That's this Jesus that now is carrying his cross. Now, don't think of him carrying a cross on his shoulder. He most likely has the cross beam on his shoulders. And the upright beam already was at the place of crucifixion and that the person was required to carry his cross beam, which was heavy, was heavy, about 100 pounds or so. And it was not clean and sanded down. It had large splinters. It was on his bloodied back. Remember, and that's when he received help from that man that came alongside to help him. Uh, and associate with Jesus. Isn't it great? Jesus associates with us as sinners, and we as sinners associate with him. We're not ashamed of Jesus and what he's done for us. And there they lead him away and put a sign on the cross, the king of the Jews. And the soldiers there are fulfilling prophecy. Prophecy is the calling card of God, you know. It is proof, one of the many proofs that the Bible is true. Because only God can predict with 100% accuracy the things that happen before they happen. In Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 25, it says, For I am the Lord, I speak, and the word which I speak will come to pass. The word that I speak will come to pass, God says. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56, when we look back on the words of God, listen, blessed be the Lord God who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. That is not fa- there has not failed one word of his good promise. You need to hear that. There has not failed, and neither will there ever be. There will not failed one word of his good promise. Not one. Not one. Some of you really think that God has failed you today. That God's failed you. You look back on your life and you wish things would have been different. You know, just a couple weeks ago, we were looking at the significance of a dad in someone's life. And we learned, didn't we, that we live in a fatherless culture. And that has greatly damaged and wounded so many, perhaps even some of you, where you carry around these deep wounds because you had an imperfect father, a dysfunctional father, or some of you, your dad left you and abandoned you, turned his back on your family and on his family, and, and, and there you are carrying those wounds. You know, you kind of got over it and you kind of got through it, but it's wounded and hurt you. And it's hard for you, very difficult for you, to view God as a father. Or as we learned in that Bible study, we learned that the word that describes God, the word Abba, would be translated today as Daddy. And because you have an imperfect picture of fatherhood and because you have not seen or experienced what you think other people, let, let me just say, no matter what our state and whatever, no matter what kind of family you grew up in, it was all of our families were imperfect. Every single one of ours. Sin has just messed everything up. And we all have had it imperfect. But some of you more than others, and I realize that, you may want to pick up that study so the Holy Spirit can minister to you and encourage you that you have a Father in heaven that loves you. You have a Father in heaven that when he says, when he says something to you, when he promises something to you, your Father in heaven keeps his promises. Here's the problem. Here's an additional problem. God gives the promise right here, and then it gets fulfilled over here, and in between is all this space. We call that space time. (laughs) And what do we do during that time? We call that waiting on the Lord. So we expect the promise to be here, and then we'll get it right here. But that's often not the ways of the Lord. Psalm 22, 
Psalm 22 was written hundreds of years before it happened. Hundreds of years. The soon return of Jesus Christ is given to us thousands of years. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus left, and it hasn't happened yet. Why? Because sometimes times are waiting like this, sometimes like this, sometimes it's like this, and sometimes it won't end until we're in the presence of the Lord. But I can assure you this, what God has promised will come to pass. I promise you. And he even promises to those that wait, your strength will be renewed, relationship will be enjoyed. So don't give up on God. Because maybe you give up on him. It's an amazing thing. I was before first service, I was meeting, I was going around talking with people and greeting and praying with people, and I met a guy. This is what he deals with. And we were able to talk just a little bit. This is what he deals with. You won't believe this. But it happened. It happens. It's in our church. This stuff happens. These are the people in our church. We were talking with him. He's, he's married. We were talking with you know, it's all small talk to start with. That's if you come up and Ed's just small talk, believe me, I want to go deeper, and I will if you let me. But if we have to talk about your dogs, which we did, their little chihuahuas, if we need to talk about it's morning and I'm not awake, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to get into your life. And they opened up. Our conversation literally was talking about their chihuahua dog that jumps on their bed and licks their face to wake them up in the morning. That's how it started. Welcome to Calvary. <laughs> but you know what he told me? He trusted me this much. He told me about a pain that he's been carrying in his life. Because his mom sold him as a baby for $50. And doesn't it make you wonder who you're sitting by today, who's hurting and dealing with life? He's, carried, he's a grown man. He's probably, I didn't ask him his age, but he's probably in his 50s. And we're talking through it. You know, it wasn't a long time because service started, but praying with him and encouraging him. Listen. God loves you. And he demonstrated that, what we're reading right now. Jesus dying on the cross. He didn't just say it, he demonstrated it. He gave his best for you and me. All of us wrecked by sin, some to more degrees than others. I mean, I, I, I get emotional when I think about the faithfulness of God in my life because if he wouldn't intervene in my life, I would not be alive today. The road that I was on was not gonna end well. It wasn't gonna end well for me, it wasn't going to end well for the people that loved me. It wasn't going to end well for my teenage girlfriend that, that gave us, you know, our little baby in high school. It wasn't going to end well for anybody if God didn't intervene in my life and reveal to me his love. You know, the thing about love, the thing about love in my life was that I just, the hardest thing for me was I just couldn't believe that God would love someone like me. It wasn't anything about the behaviors. I knew all the behaviors were wrecking my life. It wasn't any pastor telling me, don't do this and don't do that. I, you don't need that. Because love leads you into all kinds of wonderful ways. But I just couldn't believe it. I said, as soon as he finds, you know, there's no way God knows all this stuff and, and, and half the stuff that people knew, they didn't know the other half. And there's just no way. And maybe that's you today. And the truth is, God knows more about you than even you know about you. And he loves you. <laughs> that's good news. That God would come down and reach down to us to forgive us of what? Our sins. What's wrecked and pushed us away from God. And you know, you know better than I do how far you are from God. How far you are from his love and his mercy. You know, when you think of mercy, you can't even define it because you've never experienced it. 
When I talk of the word grace, you don't even know what it means because you've never experienced it. When I speak of love, you have all kinds of a twisted view of love because you've never truly experienced the love of God. And the main reason why is you are unwilling to turn away from your sin. It's like, it's like the kids. You guys have your babies down in the nursery right now. Most of the, you know, in the early days of my walk, I served in the nursery. And some of your kids have supernatural strength. Because when they have a toy, and we say, okay, little Johnny, it's time to share their grip, man. It just, whoop. And you go to try to take it, and they go, whoom, and they're dragging you around the room. And it's like, no, I'm not giving this up. I'm not giving this up. And you're like, no, you're going to give it up. And now you're getting all mad at a two-year-old, and you're going to, and, uh, 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 you know, super. Oh, your kids are perfect. Never mind. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I've met a lot of people who hold on so tightly to things that don't matter, the things that they just aren't going to last. You know as well as I do, you're, you have what you want and you're still not satisfied. You got what you wanted and you're holding on to it. It's nobody's going to take it. No preacher boy's going to take it away. No church's going to take it away. Mom's not going to take it away. Nobody's taking it away. We're not asking to take it away. Take my hands off. God is not asking you to take it away. He's asking you to lay it at the cross. And if you don't want to, you don't have to. But understand, as real as heaven is, hell is just as real. And if you choose to die in your sin, if that's your choice, then the consequence of that will be to live forever. I mean, if you choose to live forever without God now, what makes you think you're going to change your mind after you die? There's no second chances after you die. But there are plenty of chances right now while you hear my voice. The crucifixion and the death of Jesus is surrounded with intrigue and difficulty and, and yet freedom and strength. Jesus just, you know, right there on the cross, it says he's hanging between two people. One of them got saved. One of them responded to the love of God. Hanging on a cross... You think he only had maybe, let's say, 200 breaths left in his life. 200 breaths. And before he breathed his last breath, he ex exercised his faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? Because Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Oh, man. So don't give up on anyone. As long as there's a breath, there's hope. I was praying with a brother, a good friend, servant here many, many years. And uh, we've been praying for many months now about his sister. Uh, battling cancer, serious form of cancer. So I check in every once in a while, how are you doing? So I did that this morning. He was standing right next to me. I did that. I said, how's your sister Diane? And he said, she's not with us anymore. She died on Friday. And I said, I'm so sorry, bro. Because his greatest concern was her salvation. And this Bible study put it fresh on my mind. I was saying, well, look, bro, check this out. We don't know what Diane did or didn't do with God before she took her last breath. We don't know. We know how many times you spoke to her. We know how many times you planted seeds. We know how many gifts you gave her. We know all the resistance. But what I found to be true is that the more resistance, the closer a person is. <laughs> and I don't know what's resisting, what you're resisting today. But we're praying that God would, that, that your resistance would go down and you would accept the love of God in your life. 
This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. He's leading a study from the Gospel of John. You can find our studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And they're accessible through our app, too. Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. And look for us on Apple Podcasts. Here in the month of December, we picked out a timely resource we think you'll enjoy and get a lot out of. It would even make for a great Christmas gift. It's called The Case for Christmas. So who was in that manger the first Christmas morning? Not everyone agrees on the answer to that. If he was the divine son of God, how do you know for sure? Well, Lee Strobel investigates in The Case for Christmas, and we'll send it to you when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more today. Please make your request by phone at 877-30-GRACE or order it online at calvaryco.store. Also, remember that it's through your support that we're able to bring Abounding Grace to the radio every day. With your help, countless thousands of people are hearing the truth of God's Word all over the nation and the world at a time in human history when they really need to hear it, too. We can be reached toll-free at 877-30-GRACE, or you can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We'll set aside another half hour to join us tomorrow when we'll dig deeper into the Gospel of John with Pastor Ed Taylor here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.